Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. The terrible attack on the Westgate shopping mall in Nairobi has refocused the world's attention on the threat of urban terrorism in the same week that the bombing of a church in Peshawar killed scores of Pakistani Christians. Meanwhile, al-Qaeda-linked groups are making gains in Syria and Iraq. So do we need to brace ourselves for a resurgence of global terrorism? Or should the world just resign itself to the idea that terrorism is going to be a fact of life for decades to come? Joining me in the studio is our security correspondent, James Blitz. And on the line from Nairobi is our correspondent there, Katrina Manson. Katrina, tell us a bit more about Al-Shabaab, the group that carried out this attack. Are they likely to be capable of doing more of this sort of thing? Well, at the moment, Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility through Twitter accounts and subsequently a spokesman talked about it and then even the head honcho who has really consolidated power in a very hawkish way in recent weeks and months. His name is Gudane. So they are claiming responsibility, but that doesn't mean that they are the exclusive group behind the attacks. Now, they are jihadis based in Somalia, and they really emerged in 2006. And since then, they held territory and really fought conventional battles. They held lines, they engaged with the army, and they held turf. Two years ago, they were pushed out of the capital, Mogadishu. And since then, they've developed an insurgency. So they've been doing suicide bombing campaigns, quite complex ones, not using technical weapons, but using a technical approach to compound attacks, suicide bombing followed by raids, followed by self-detonation inside on things like the courthouse or the UN compounds. So it does fit with the sort of thing they might be able to carry out in Kenya. But there are some distinctive differences that has led many people to believe that they wouldn't solely be responsible for these attacks. Now, in Kenya, there's been a history of Islamist groups who have recruited for al-Shabaab in Somalia. And in fact, Kenya is the biggest contributor of foreign powers to al-Shabaab in Somalia. They're trained and they're exposed, but they've also fallen out with the al-Shabaab leadership. And many of these Kenyans have come back to Kenya and nurse much grander ambition, really, more of a global jihad, the kind of thing we'd be more familiar with from al-Qaeda. And so although they're more domestic, they're more global in their approach. And all of these networks have overlaps and interconnections. And at this stage, it's really not clear how much Shabab did this on its own. But yes, certainly they've done it before in Uganda. They did that as a punishment for the Ugandans sending in troops for an African Union force that, that helped push them out of Mogadishu. And they've always threatened Kenya since 2011 that they would carry out reprisals. And there's been a series of security alerts in Kenya throughout the past two years, ever since Kenya invaded Somalia. And US and UK diplomats have, have raised warnings on things exactly like nightclubs, bars, and indeed shopping malls. So James, 
As Katerina says, it's a very complex picture, but clearly there's a big problem there. And is there a wider Africa-wide problem? Because if you think about it, there's Al-Shabaab and the other groups in East Africa, there's Boko Haram in Nigeria, and there's Al-Qaeda in the Maghreb up in North Africa. So is the northern half of the continent threatened? Yes, I think it is. I mean, I think clearly for Western security services... They're looking a lot harder at Africa than they were even a year ago. As you know, if you look at the broad story of jihad in the world, the core al-Qaeda movement around Osama bin Laden collapsed in Pakistan and the Pakistani tribal areas and Afghanistan a few years ago thanks to US drone strikes. It's certainly very, very weakened. And a lot more has been happening inside Africa. As you know, you've got got al-Shabaab in Somalia, And now, obviously, in Kenya, you've got Boko Haram operating in Nigeria. You've got al-Qaeda in the Maghreb, which carried out the Inaminus attack in Algeria at the start of this year. And people are looking at that much more closely. I think the view of Western intelligence chiefs is that none of these groups is in a position yet to be able to carry out a direct attack on the West. So they are put into that category. They don't have the capability to hit the UK, Europe or the US. The one group still in al-Qaeda that really worries intelligence chiefs, as you know, is al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, based in Yemen, because it has some very sophisticated bomb-making capability, which it has been able to load onto aircraft heading for the West. So that's the concern. But generally speaking... People are looking at these groups and they're saying they are getting a lot more worrying. And I think people are looking at what al-Shabaab appears to have done in Nairobi and saying this is a significant stepping up of its attack planning capability from anything we have thought. And I think one of the things that they're looking at specifically is the fact that there's a lot of factors that are helping these groups. One of them, which is important is we still go back to what happened in Libya with the fall of Gaddafi, an awful lot of materiel came out of Libya into the rest of the region. And that's one of the reasons why these groups are getting much, much stronger. Katrina, of course, it would be not much comfort to people in Africa that Western intelligence services think that the West is relatively protected from all this. Do African states themselves have the resources to fight back if they are facing a real uh, terrorist threat of, of, of a new nature? Well, I think there are two things here. I mean, Kenya took the fight to Somalia when it invaded in 2011. It had a plan in place for many, many years, but triggered by a kidnapping along the coast that damaged its tourism. And as a result, it went into Somalia. And that was really its answer to terrorism and made great gains. But they obviously haven't succeeded because the reprisal has come back. Now, the Kenyan authorities say they have stopped several plots before in the past two years and intelligence uh, officials have known about plots on two or three shopping malls. But this one, intelligence officials are telling me, really has taken people by surprise. Uh, One told me they just didn't have a whisper. Now, that may or may not be the case, but the Kenyans certainly haven't been able to respond as well as they might have done with extra information sharing. And I know there's a great big push at the moment to offer everything that the Kenyans might need. Even during the siege, Israelis were there, the UK, the US, Germany, France, they were helping with quite technical things like bomb disposal because the terrorists had layered booby traps into the building. But also going forward, there needs to be a huge pickup in counterterrorism, and that is about information sharing on identities that some countries are reluctant to share. And the European Union flew in immediately its top Africa diplomat and offered help on a number of things. One of them is uh, tracking terrorist financing, and the other is developing those capabilities. And Kenya, I think, will be very keen to take them up on that offer. James, 
Katrina's answer raises this vexed question of blowback. I mean, if you go into a country like Somalia and try to go after the terrorists, are you in danger of doing more harm than good? Because you then give jihadists a cause, you provoke attacks back. I mean, and I know this is a debate that the West is having about Syria. Can we afford to let Syria become a failed state and then a haven for terrorists? On the other hand, if we go in and try to intervene, does that then just worsen the problem? What's the state of the debate on the, on that issue, as far as you know? Well, there are two things to say. First of all, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people here looking at what's been happening in Nairobi are saying, on the one hand, there you had the Kenyan authorities going into Somalia, taking a very proactive role in this Amisom group and being quite effective in sort of pushing back Al-Shabaab. But on the other hand, when there was blowback from Al-Shabaab back into Kenya, the authorities there really don't seem to have been able to deal with it. And it's not just a question of not being able to detect this in terms of intelligence ahead of the attack but also I think most people looking at this from outside in security world and the way the Kenyans have handled it in the last week are not fantastically impressed they put out so many mixed messages there's not been good handling so that's the first thing I think people are saying there's an asymmetry between the proactive intervention on the one hand on the other hand the inability to protect your own people Generally speaking, in the West, you're absolutely right. I think the risk of blowback, particularly which came across in in Iraq, less so in Afghanistan, certainly in Iraq, has dominated the thinking of publics both in the US and also in the UK. And that's one of the reasons why in the last few weeks, both David Cameron and Barack Obama, when they considered the idea of a short, sharp military action against Syria, found that um, congressional lawmakers and MPs were hearing from their own constituents and saying, we just don't want to go there. And that really, I think a lot of there's a huge discussion happening at the moment, I think, in the West about the fact that we're living in an Iraq syndrome, a post-Iraq phenomenon, which basically suggests that we're just not going to send forces out to deal with this kind of thing proactively because of the risks of this kind of thing happening. Katrina, final question from the African perspective. What is this doing to intercommunal relations within Kenya and East Africa as a whole? I mean, we've seen in West Africa and Nigeria very serious tensions between Muslim and Christian communities. Is that going to be replicated now in East Africa? There are two things here. Kenya is a very divided nation by ethnicity. The most recent elections here in March were very, very difficult, and they followed from the violent elections of 2007, where more than a 1,000 people were killed in ethnic violence. And so it's really a state that's already quite riven and has a lot of reconciliation to do. This attack, of course, has brought people together. The president's own nephew was killed in the attack. He's given two very measured, robust speeches that talk about unity, that talk about people giving blood regardless of which ethnicity is going to receive it. And these are very important things to say to the Kenyan population. The one group that risks being left out of that unity is the Somali population, which in Kenya is huge. It's Kenyan ethnic Somalis. Now, the reason that that can be countered is that many of the people, the volunteers who went in and rescued hundreds of people on the first day as this attack was unfolding, were ethnic Somalis. The head of the Red Cross is an ethnic Somali. One of the off-duty, someone who had a weapon who went in to rescue people was an ethnic Somali. So there is a sense that this doesn't need to divide Muslims and, and groups within the country. But of course, the terrorists did go in and they saved many people by asking them to identify themselves 
as Muslims, and many of those were let go. So it's something that's going to be very worrying. The thing that the, the Kenyans may react by trying to close down a huge, huge refugee camp in the east of the country that borders Somalia, in Dadaab, where there are something like 600,000 Somalis who have fled 22 years of fighting, but also a famine that took hold in 2011. And the Kenyan authorities believe that that's also a breeding ground for domestic jihadi groups. And the reaction there could become very divisive, but the Kenyans feel they've got to do something about it. Okay, and finally, James, just on a broader perspective, everyone in the West is desperate to turn the page on the global war on terror for various reasons. Does all this suggest that actually those obituaries for the war on terror were premature and we're still in a period when international politics is going to be, to a significant degree, affected by acts of terrorism and defined by Western efforts to combat this problem? I think if you talk to senior people in Western intelligence agencies, I think they would say this. On the one hand, the idea that there is going to be a sophisticated, planned attack on the West of the kind that happened on 9-11 or 7-7 in London is pretty unlikely. None of these actors are capable of doing it. There's still the concern, about, as I said, about AQAP in Yemen and its bomb-making capability to get that on aircraft, and that's a worry. So that, I think, is out of the question. What I think is more worrying, I think the reason why this is now becoming more troublesome, is not just what's happening in Africa, but particularly what's happening in Syria. I mean, if you ask these people, what are your concerns? One, it's AQAP in Yemen. But the second is, as you know, the huge flow of Brits and European nationals going to Syria, fighting with Jabhat al-Nusra and al-Qaeda on the ground there, getting experience and the risk that these people are one day going to come back to places like London or whatever and carry out some kind of attack. There are, and there are two things that worry them. One is the sheer flow of people. You're talking about four or 500 European nationals who are clearly in that kind of arena today. And secondly, the ease of access to Syria. It can be accessed from many borders. You can basically fly to Damascus still. And that's the risk. And that puts it at a much higher level of risk than, say, al-Shabaab in Somalia, because it's just difficult to get to. And if you got to Somalia, you probably wouldn't survive very long anyway, given the intensity of the attacks by militaries there on al-Shabaab. So all in all, it is still troublesome. It's not at the intensity it was in the period after 9-11. But at the end of the day, it's the old adage, they've only got to be lucky once, and then they can turn these terrorists or these militants, the entire focus of the debate, in a different direction from the one it's in at the moment. And I think that is the concern. James Blitz here in London. Thank you very much indeed. And thanks also to Katrina Manson in Nairobi. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts join capital group ceo mike gitlin for a new edition of the capital ideas podcast in unscripted conversations with investment professionals you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned informed by decades of investment experience it's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers new episodes are available monthly subscribe wherever you get your podcasts invest 30 minutes in an episode today published by american funds distributors inc here at bellingcat we get to the bottom of things from a global crisis to an underreported event we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface 
We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.